Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Women Entrepreneurs Extraordinaire podcast here. I am Julie Anderson, Julie Brain Lady Anderson, your host for the show. And I am so excited. I know I tell you that every week when I get to get on, every time I get to interview a new dynamic uh, entrepreneur. But this week I am especially excited because not only is our guest from across the pond, She's calling in from Europe, but also because we've had, it's been a a long going try to connect and get our schedules together. So we finally made it happen and made it all come together. So we are really excited to have the guest with us here today. Before we get going, I want to remind everybody, please stay on till the end of the show, because that's where you learn how to stay connected with not just our guest, but also us here with the Women Entrepreneurs Podcast. So with that in mind, let me just go ahead and introduce you to our guest today. Our guest is Tara Sabre Collier, Collier, and she is a social entrepreneur in residence at Oxford University, where she lectures on impact investment, as well as diversity, equity, equity, and and inclusion. Tara has 10 years, more than 10 years experience in the private sector development and ecosystem building in several emerging economies, Africa, the Middle East, Latin America. So she is all over the globe, literally, as well as an MBA from Oxford in strategy and entrepreneurship and an NYU master's in public administration and international policy and management. So she has quite the background, and I cannot wait to have this conversation today with Tara. Tara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to be here with you virtually. I know. Isn't this wonderful? It's wonderful that uh, we're able to do these things now. Well, we've been able to do them for a while, but <laughs> it's become second second nature to most of us. So Tara, how are you doing over there in in Europe? How are things going with just the general um, general health and getting back to doing business, I should say, as before or in the new way? How are things going over there? Um, you know, we're also in the middle of the surge, as there is in the U.S. Uh, so the cases started picking up as everything was liberated over the past few weeks. But now it seems that we've turned a corner because the cases are starting to drop again. Um, The last I checked, it was about over 60 or 70 percent of the adult population at least had had their first dose of the vaccine. Um, So step by step, you can still tell that in the economy here in the U.K., as in the U.S., There's a lot of adjustments going on, whether you're considering the housing market or, you know, inflation. So we're all in this period of economic flux, but that's going to be the case no matter where you go, right, as we're all trying to build back better. Yeah, I like that. I like that term, build back better. 
do the new way of doing things, but do it better. I like that. Now, with your with your topic and what you really deal with a lot is impact investment, and then of course the the um, diversity and inclusion. So let's take this. Let's it, you have when you look at when I read your bio. There's so much education that you have in so, so many different areas. Take us on a little journey, if you don't mind, and tell us what kind of led you to to go through all of these different paths. What why were you interested in doing these different things that you have educate become educated on? Um, when I was in college, I studied abroad in the Dominican Republic. And when I was there, I happened to befriend someone who I discovered um, through strange circumstances bathing in a river full of trash. And that really hit home to me, the notion that, wow, what we're considering as basic, basic, so many people, it's a luxury. So I decided that I wanted to do something about that. And I set off on the field of poverty alleviation. So working through, you know, the United Nations system, trying to address poverty, um, especially in less developed countries. I'd been doing uh, community development work even in high school in my community in the U.S., uh, but in college, I started to think about that internationally, except that as I embarked upon that, it pretty quickly became clear that the only way we're going to really fight poverty and overcome poverty globally is through the private sector, specifically through business, specifically um, through entrepreneurship, um, whether we're talking about micro enterprises or small and medium enterprises, which are the lifeblood of our economy in the U.S. and really most of the world. They're creating, you know, 80 to 90 percent of jobs. Uh, so I, I set out doing what's called SME development, so incubating startups, working with governments to improve their regulations, working with investors to invest in startups. I, I set out a, on that path, and I did it with uh, some of the big institutions like the World Bank and the International Finance Corporation uh, before finally realizing that I can't lecture people about entrepreneurship or say I'm an entrepreneurship promoter if I've never had first-hand experience. So I, I started my first company in my 20s, which was basically doing the services that I'd been doing inside of larger organizations for a while, which is you know private sector development, startup incubation. And I worked with a lot of entrepreneurs across the globe, um, especially women entrepreneurs. My company trained over 2,000 entrepreneurs across the U.S., Peru, Brazil, Angola, and Mozambique. And... A lot of these entrepreneurs were very high impact, so doing things like creating businesses that would um, create economic opportunities for farmers, creating educational companies, businesses that improve people's lives. And I kept seeing over and over again them stumble on the bottleneck of funding, especially in emerging markets, but also in under-resourced communities in the U.S. And that's why I decided to go back to school, do my MBA, and switch over to the field of impact investing so I could back some of these entrepreneurs personally. Um, and so I switched over to the field of impact investing, um, and now I kind of uh, am straddling the fence between being an impact investor myself, uh, so after spending years with, inside of bigger impact investment funds like Growfin Capital, which is Africa's biggest SME impact investor, and the Shell Foundation, 
um, I, decided to, I decided to launch my own impact investment company in late 2020, uh, which is called Eleanor Ventures. But I also continue to advise other impact investors, uh, whether that's governments, um, institutional investors, foundations, or ultra high net worth individuals that are asking, how can I invest, make money in ways that will lead to improvement in people's quality of life? So that's, that's how I got here. <laughs> I love it. What a what a great story. It's interesting. I we didn't I didn't catch this before in any of our previous conversations that uh part of what changed your your view was an encounter that you had in the DR and in the Dominican Republic. And it's interesting because my son and I, one of I have three sons, my youngest son and myself, his friend and a couple of other friends we actually went, it's been, oh, goodness, about 10 years plus, maybe 11 years ago. We went to the Dominican Republic and we were doing Bible education for the deaf there for a couple of weeks. And I as well, I, told, I came back and told my husband, I was like, I think it should be mandatory that every person when they graduate from high school in the United States, in one of the, the more developed, the, the, you know, the richer, quote unquote, I'm doing that in air quotes there, uh, the, the more advanced, I shouldn't say that's the wrong word as well, <laughs> that they spend a year in one of these countries because it just, just two weeks that we spent there impacted our view so much of what we have and what they don't and the value that they have on just enjoying so much more enjoyment without things as as well as all of the needs the education for the deaf there in that country was in it and still is incredibly lacking um but it yeah i i just it's interesting to me i have to throw, throw that out there it was a little uh digression from the interview but it's interesting that we have that in in common there with the with the dominican i have to love to have that a further conversation with you on that <laughs> but as you're Oh, it's a beautiful country. It's it's a beautiful country, and the people are so so friendly and caring. And and then again, it's it's a completely different different situation. The the policing is completely different. The everything's transportation. Everything is completely different. But uh, anyways, it's a it's a beautiful country. I highly suggest people go visit it and do a little bit of volunteer work while you're there. You might find it very very eye opening. Um, as you're talking about in this impact investment, and I think that's a wonderful, a wonderful charge to to lead because there's so much, so many businesses that can benefit and support other groups, um, even if it is just through hiring staff or hiring people or supporting other people through subcontractor work. Uh, working with individuals and supporting their business by hiring them. But what are some of the challenges of impact investment in a business-focused world when you're trying to get them to kind of think outside the box and open their mind and doing something that's going to have a positive impact on other groups of people? It's a highly evolving and in some cases amorphous asset class. Uh, so when impact investing emerged, um, there were a lot of existing social entrepreneurs uh, that said, great, I'm going to go after impact investing. And there were a few different um, segments that realized that they could, you know, capture themselves or, or brand themselves as impact investments. And the biggest one was microfinance. So then you had 
um, MFIs going after impact investment, and then you had impact funds going after philanthropic capital, capital from uh, donor agencies and capital from philanthropic institutions. But as the term uh, gained momentum, and as it became an asset class, more and more people wanted to get on, on it. So then private banks started getting pressure from ultra high net worth individuals like, I want to do impact investing. What kind of impact investment products do you have? And it created a really, really massive continuum of what is considered impact investing. So there's impact first investing where basically you're saying, I'm only going to return my capital um, and I'm going to have a massive social good. And then you have finance first investing, which is saying, I want more or less a market rate of return. Um, and I want to see that it is doing good, but it, my priority is the financial performance. And then there's everything in between. And this creates some risk of organizations being able to capture uh, philanthropic capital or capital that's subsidized based on the impact story, even if they're not really doing anything different in their business model. So the sector is really trying to grasp, um, you grapple with this and create standardization so that people are actually held accountable. So I, so going back to your question about, you know, what are the challenges of doing this in the business world? Well, you have the challenge of um, a lot of people mistakenly think that there's got to be a trade-off, like, oh, I can't make money and be a profitable company um, and do social good. Um, and that's been debunked, and now more there's more and more examples of how to do so. Um, and you also have the other problem of organizations saying, well, as much as I want to do good, uh, my commercial returns come first. And so they get further and further away from um, the lemonade that they're selling. So meaning I'm reaching out to investors and I'm uh, capturing impact investment by saying that I'm going to sell a product to really poor people who otherwise can't afford that product, let's say access to energy. But then in order to meet the financial expectations of my investors, I have to and keep bringing the price up and up and up until the question is, am I really truly improving lives at the price that I'm charging for these vulnerable people? So these are some of the caveats that the mm -hmm. sector that people in the sector have to deal with. Yeah, I can imagine that would be a challenge because you have to, it would be a challenge to keep the investors happy and keep everything else affordable. That's I hadn't thought of it from that that angle. Now, obviously, the last year and a half has been completely has shifted so much. Everyone is doing business, how everyone is having to learn the skills that we've never had to learn before, whether anything from a single person entrepreneur, single business entrepreneur, all the way up to, you know, massive companies with thousands of employees. Everybody has had to learn how to shift and how to change. How has this last year and a half with COVID-19 affected the area of impact investing? And you mentioned that in the end of last year, the end of 2020, you opened your own business with this. So how has, obviously, it, it, it didn't slow you down too much, but how in general has it affected the overall um, arena? Uh, when COVID hit, I was working in an impact investment fund that focuses on investing in Africa and India. So it really slowed things down because we couldn't travel to those countries to do due diligence. And in many cases, you still can't travel to those countries. So there was a big slowdown. There was also um, 
the need for rescue packages. And that applies, you know, across sectors and geographies. I mean, look at in the U.S. what everyone's calling the STEMI. <laughs> and then with our portfolio companies, we set up, you know, contingency plans to get them over this hurdle where in some cases they had huge uh, drops in revenue. Now we've had a year and a half to figure out how to work through this. So people are figuring out how to either do due diligence virtually um, or to work with local partners to do due diligence in markets they can't access. Many of the companies that had a really big hit received the rescue packages and were able to turn things around. But in some sectors, that didn't happen and, and, and whole sectors kind of you know, tanked or, or lost a huge share of the SMEs in those sectors. Um, and then... Myself, um, I was spurred to actually branch off, not really as much because of COVID, although it's all interrelated. You know, COVID created this this situation where everyone's at home. People are really frustrated. People are scared. There's death. And then you add to that um, the, the spark of um, the George Floyd killing. And then you remember the uprisings that were spurred by that for months and months after. And I don't know if those uprisings, the BLM uprisings, would have been as um, frantic and reached the scale they did if we hadn't been in this undercurrent of COVID and the way COVID is making everyone feel and the way COVID has people at home glued to their televisions. But at mm-hmm. any rate, that's what happened with these uprisings that really caused me to have a, a bit of an existential crisis about the impact investment sector and how it converges with the topic of equality and um, specifically how that relates to the theme of representation because, and I pose this question to you and to other impact investors, if you are making an investment that is posed as an impact investment that is generating um, positive financial returns and that leads to a specific social good. So let's say it's leading to um, people having access to healthier food or leading people to have access to um, medicines that weren't there before. Is it really an impact of an investment if at the same time as doing that, it's worsening inequality, given that mm-hmm. inequality is linked to so many other uh, political, social, and economic ills? You know, when you have higher rates of inequality, you have lower rates of growth, you have bigger governance problems that leads to breakdown and democracy, that leads to failed states. There's so many problems that come from inequality. So I started to have an existential crisis about the extent to which the impact investment sector had really interrogated its contribution to equality and or inequality and a way of dealing with that. And so that's why I ended up creating this company with my family, which is uh, Eleanor Ventures, which has this equality lens, you know, focusing on impact investments into companies that have a enormous social benefit that improve quality of life, but also focusing on founders that are not getting capital from the mainstream impact investment machinery. Wow. That's really impressive. I, my brain's going because we have here in the women entrepreneurs group, you know, that's, that's something that women entrepreneurs struggle with in a lot of fields. Mm-hmm. I, I know several women that are even in the group, um, in our online group that have started their own candle business or their own lotion, you know, different um, personal care items, lotions and makeups and things like that. And 
oftentimes I do find that they're, they are women of color. They are more diverse and they struggle. And I had never looked at it at at the investment side of things through the lens of equality in, in race or in diversity in the different, in women owned businesses, all of that type of thing. So that's, that's a very interesting thing that you, that that is, is what kind of, opened or took the glasses off, so to speak, for you so you could see more clearly or put them on, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> what have I you mean, seen? It, oh, go oh, ahead. please. I was just going to say, gonna since, say you, <laughs> since you started, what have you noticed? What have has has happened for you? Um, I mean, I noticed that gap in the market, and now I've been gathering data on the gap. And of course, I've been building the pipeline of um, entrepreneurs, so entrepreneurs of color and women entrepreneurs in these fields. What's interesting also is understanding how the way that we do business, processes and protocols can lead to underserving um, certain groups. And so I'll give an example. at my In my last role where I was with a much a bigger impact investment fund um, that's uh, using a philanthropic endowment from a corporation, um, we also set this as a target. We want to back more, you know, women-led and um, African-led um, organizations and funds. And in trying to do so, we notice a few things. So, for example, women need lower ticket sizes. And the reason for that is because, Men get most of the capital at pre-seed stage, and then there's a, a smaller pool of women who can get capital at the seed stage, and then an even smaller pool at the Series A stage. So at every stage, the funnel of women um, is shrinking, and it's all because that first leg up, they weren't given an equal chance, which means that if you say, okay, and so I'll break this into the ticket sizes, there's women are typically getting global average less than 10% on the pre-seed stage of, of raising capital. And then mm-hmm. if you go to the stage, it's, it's closer to about 8%. And then if you go to Series A, it's like less than 5%, I believe. And these are high-level ranges. But the point is, if you are getting more women at the pre-seed stage, which is, you know, much smaller amounts of money, we're talking about 100, 200, 300K, um, then you would have a greater share when you get to the next stage which means that if you really want to impact women, you also need to start coming in earlier. Mm-hmm. But if you want to come in earlier, um, it costs you the same amount of money to do a deal that's a million dollars versus $100,000 as far as the amount of legwork you have to do, which is why people want to do bigger deal sizes. But mm-hmm. in doing bigger deal sizes, you often inadvertently end up leaving out women. So, So these are the issues of, the ways that we do things can leave out certain groups of people. Just kind of how, if you look at how investors find their entrepreneurs, they're like, oh, we'll use accelerators. But if the accelerators, most of them aren't graduating enough women, then you've already created a pipeline that has a discrepancy. So you need to find other ways. Um, So my point is a lot of the processes that are in place um, just further solidify imbalances. So we have to actually come up with new processes. Got it. So what would you suggest, and this isn't necessarily one of the the questions that we had talked about discussing, but what would you suggest to the women who are listening um, 
it, someone says, I've got this great business idea. I have no idea how to start with getting some kind of an investor. What would be your suggestion as to how they find out more about just what all of this world is? Like mm. I, what I find with a lot of women that I, uh, that I coach or I consult with, they're always thinking small. They think their little home office. They think their little, you know, just their little world that they are, that they can reach out and touch. And so they never open their eyes to the possibilities of partners or investors or, or any of that. And if they even try to get started looking into that, it's so confusing <laughs> that they back down quite rapidly. What would be your suggestion to a female entrepreneur that's listening, especially one that might be in an even a, a you know minority group that feels this is a mountain that's way too high to to climb what would be your suggestion as to where to get started or how to make that first step to even find out if their business is a viable business that someone would invest in i would start off by looking at the growth expectations um so plot out you know your plans for the business over the next 5 years um, and imagine if you had the capital you needed to grow, how would it grow? So, for example, if you're uh, producing widgets um, and right now you're producing 10,000, um, plot out your five-year growth um, trajectory, assuming that your current rate of growth of your current companies, your current clients, is continuing to grow at the same pace. And then ask yourself the question, if I had capital to you know, expand my growth, what would I use the capital for and how much would I expect it to grow? When you plot out your growth trajectory, you start to get a view of, do you really need capital? How much capital do you need? And what kind of capital do you need? So for businesses where, let's say, especially tech businesses, you see this a lot, where you only have a 1,000 users, but if you just had the right marketing and the right software, you could reach a million users, and you can see a clear way to do it within two years. Um, that kind of business with that kind of growth, it becomes attractive to a venture capital investor. Um, so the venture capital investors are looking for like, you know, 10x, 100x um, growth multiples of like your current, the current value of your business to what it would be in let's say five years or even 10 years. Um, so when you plot out your growth trajectory, you can see, does it, is that the kind of growth that I'm aiming for? And am I willing to give up a share of my business to get it? If you can reach that level of growth and you're willing to give up a share of your business to get it, which means you'll get a lot of support, you know, access to, let's say, marketing services, legal services, a lot of support, access to buyers and clients, but also give up a share of your business and have people telling you how to run your business. Then you can go for VC funding. If you can see that actually – um, my business, we're going to grow at 100% a year, 50% a year, and we're going to grow to from, you know, five staff to maybe 10 or 20 staff, but we, we don't aspire to be a billion-dollar company. Then maybe you're more set for um, debt, and you can look at, like, different kinds of debt, whether we're looking at, like, factoring and invoicing or whether you're looking at, you know, commercial loans. Um, but at least you're not giving away a share of your business and you're not obligated to grow it by 100x. You have reasonable steady growth. Um, and a really interesting product that a lot of women entrepreneurs are starting to look at is revenue-based financing, 
where the amount of your um, uh, the re- the amount of your you know interest is based on how much revenue. So it's like the business is flexible. The financing is flexible with your growth, as opposed to locking you into terms that could end up being a prison, which sometimes happens when people take conventional debt. And then additionally, um, you know, there's also crowdfunding, which I won't get into as much here, but crowdfunding also creates another layer of flexibility because you could say, I just want to raise the money to build a prototype. Um, And then I don't want to necessarily give up a share of my business, or I do, or I want to give people incentives for helping me finance the prototype. That's the other option for crowdfunding. And then the other option is bootstrapping and saying, okay, I want to build this business. I want to take it from five people to 10 people. I want to take it from, you know, 50,000 to 500,000. And I can see a clear way where if we just use partnerships and I use my own capital, I can grow it to that perspective. Then you know that it's best to bootstrap and you get to keep control of your business and do it the way you want on your time. So each of these types of capital have um, different requirements and each of them have a set type of growth expectation. So if you can look at your realistic growth expectations, you can kind of start to see which kinds of capital work well for you. I love it. I love it. Really, lots of different options out there, depending on what your goals are, what your business goals is and what your business revenue is currently. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Now, what would you like to see, kind of back to the impact investment and really understanding how different companies can have an impact on minorities or underserved communities. What changes would you like to see in the impact investment field as a result of just what you've learned, what you've experienced uh, working with other countries, and what this last year and a half has shown you? I mean, the ecosystem has a race problem and to a lesser extent a gender problem. Um, which means that uh, there's not really very diverse representation within impact investment institutions um, from a racial perspective. Uh, they've done some data collection of this in regards to ESG, which we can use as a proxy for the impact investment ecosystem in the U.S., as well as uh, the philanthropic ecosystem in the U.S., as well as the impact investment ecosystem in the U.K., and all of these show that when it comes to decision making, it's still largely centered uh, among white males, um, which means that um, really talented, high potential businesses get left out and really interesting ideas that could innovate the way that impact investors themselves operate are probably being left on the table or overlooked. Um, so I just want the ecosystem when it comes to decision making um, of impact capital to reflect the population demographically. So that would mean a world where within impact investment funds, women are 50% of decision makers, people are of color are, are 40% of decision makers in the U.S. I'm just using U.S. demographic stats. And, um, and that within portfolios, the same demographic representation applies because I believe that talent is equally distributed Potential to create great businesses is equally distributed, but that's not reflected in who's getting capital or who's controlling the capital. And I know we miss out on great business models. As an example, um, I have I, I get approached to advise a lot of companies, and I was approached to advise a um, 
a menstrual cup company. Great business model. It's, you know, contributing to women's, you know, health and well-being. It's environmentally friendly. It's socially, it's a, it's a massive social good, right? The company was all male-led. They only oh, no. had women basically like as their consumers and as like salespeople. And they were trying to raise capital from impact investors. And they, um, in order to make their business more financially um, successful or more profitable, they were considering putting um, food-grade silicone into the cups. Now, if they had had women as decision makers um, in their C-suite and as decision makers in the round table in the boardroom of their investors, someone would have stopped in and said, no, if you had to put this in your body, you wouldn't want it to be some cheap quality silicone, but because no one around the table had a vested interest in the actual user experience, no one had mm-hmm. lived experience, this is an example of things that are being left on, opportunities being left on the table to the point where they potentially become harmful. Now imagine when you're considering the ecosystem where um, women aren't represented around the table, people of color aren't represented around the table, how many other missteps are there? How many other missed opportunities are there because of the lack of lived experience at the table, because of the lack of market and consumer awareness at the table? Uh, that's huge, especially when you consider that 80% of the buying power is, is women. Women do the majority of the day-to-day purchases, in at least within the United States. I'm not sure about the statistics um, abroad, but that's, that's a huge, impact, a huge, huge, huge um, hole in the system there. One of the things that as the brain lady, um, and you've heard me speak about this, my listeners have heard me speak about this on the Brain Lady Speak Show, that you need to have every boardroom, every board of advisory groups, all of these different places need to have gender, both genders equally represented just simply for perspective because at the bottom, you know, at the end of the funnel, at the end where people are actually making the purchases, you're going to have a lot of women. So you need their perspective. And that story that you just told was huge in terms of how important it is to have both genders sitting on every board out there, um, even if it's for selling gasoline, right? <laughs> you still need to have all the different, all of the different perspectives. Wow, that's, a, that's an important story to share. Thank you for doing that. Now, we are, we're at our third, we could just keep going on and talking, and I know there's, this is a topic that we can explore um, much deeper, especially the inequality and the representation is, is such a huge, huge thing. And we, of course, will do our part in sharing this, this information from this, this radio show to, or this, um, this podcast today out with as many people as we can. But if someone listening wants to know more, Tara, or is like, you know what, I really support what Tara's message is. I want to stay connected with her. How are they to do that? How can we continue to stay connected with you? Sure. Um, they can uh, reach out at www.eleanorventures.com and also reach out on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Tara Sabri. That's T-A-R-A-S-A-B-R-E. B-R-E. And Eleanor, is that just one L? So E-L-E-N-O-R? It's E-L-I-N-O-R. 
E-L-I-N-O-R, Elinor Ventures. All right. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Tara, for being a guest on the show today. Like I said, we could just continue this conversation. I'm sure there's just a wealth of different, many different areas that we could branch off and, and share that would be a benefit for our listeners. But we are out of time today, so we might have to do another connection sometime in the future. I'm going to definitely connect with you, Tara, on um LinkedIn, and I encourage all our listeners to do the same. And this was a powerful message, powerful message that that needs to be heard. So please, if you liked the content of the show, share it out and stay connected with with Tara. And thank you so much for spending part of your evening with us, Tara, and uh, taking the time to connect with us and the patience to, to work with us so we could get you on the program. Thank you so much for having me and wishing you and your team all the best. Look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Well, what a what an interesting show. Some things that we just as when we get in as entrepreneurs, when we get in our little our little world of our business and there's nothing wrong with that, right? We're building our business, we're spending time uh, focusing on doing what we need to do to to support our family and to make our businesses grow. We oftentimes don't open the bigger lens and look at the world at how can our business support other groups? How can we include a philanthropic uh, portion to our business? How can we just expand in that? Or maybe you are someone who is on the the investing side, or you're thinking that maybe I need to serve on more boards in the community as a woman to help to support the female view in the community. That might be something to take a look at. But thank you, everyone, for listening in on our show today. I hope it was enjoyable to you. If you have a great topic that you want us to talk about here on the Women Entrepreneurs Podcast, then please reach out. Reach out to us at info at womenentrepreneursextraordinaire.com. That is all plural, women entrepreneurs with an S, extraordinaire.com. I know it's a mouthful, <laughs> but that's what we got. Uh, you can also join our group on Facebook, Women Entrepreneurs Extraordinaire. You can also follow, go to our website, www.womenentrepreneursextraordinaire and join our online group. Um, get your information up in our directory, on our membership directory for $25 a year. You can have your name and your contact information and cross-link to your main website on our directory at womenentrepreneursextraordinaire.com. So take a look at all that. If you want to be interviewed here or you have a great topic that you'd like us for us to explore, to reach out to a particular expert that you would love to hear me interview, then please, again, reach out to us at info at womenentrepreneursextraordinaire.com. And as I like to close up every single show, I want everyone to take a deep breath and just enjoy every moment. Thank you for being with us.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.